Are we starting? You know that shit ain't normal, right? Smoking crack constantly. Goddamn. What the fuck, dude? This is a safe place where you can be honest. Staying clean every fucking day. Running away from that fucking insane life that I was living, dude. These things are funny right now that it's over and you survived them. You know, going to meetings and just focus so much on my sobriety. <laughs> Fuck that, bro. Huh? <laughs> Maybe not off the middle conversation, dude. And you're like, what? I'm not high. What is the first step? Welcome to Not So Anonymous. This is the meeting after the meeting where our goal is to bring to you the most honest talk possible about the journey of our recoveries and the war stories of our drug addictions. My name is Dylan and I am a drug addict. I'm Donnie, crackhead from Backwoods, Ohio. I'm Goomer, recovering addict. And I'm Jordan, a severe alcoholic from the streets of Seattle. All right. Welcome, everybody, to Not So Anonymous. You might be thinking that's a different voice that we haven't heard open up an episode before. Well, that's because this is Jordan right here, joined with Goomer, Dylan, and Donnie. One of the things that we've gotten from some of the people is they've kind of heard a backstory about all of us so far, except one. You know, I got a phone call from one of my friends the other day, and they're like, we, we feel like we know all of you guys, but Dylan... We, we don't know anything about him. He hasn't really kind of opened up and shared his story on the podcast yet. So we decided to switch a little bit of roles here. And I'm going to be bringing you guys through and kind of interviewing <laughs> Dylan and talking about his story. So Dylan, um, why don't you uh, share with the listeners a little bit about what you went through and, and kind of your journey on how you got here to uh, being with us? Well, thank you for that marvelous introduction, Jordan. <laughs> he was you on did fire, a great bro. Job. Uh, <laughs> no, and that's cool. I mean, I, you had some people reaching out, um, and I know this is something that we talked about um, getting into. But um, yeah, I, ultimately, I I'm now a man in recovery because I ruined my life. You know, I pretty much made an absolute mess of my life. Um, I was born to two teenage parents in Maryville, uh, which is you know, a, a certain part of Phoenix. And, um, you know, it was kind of like a situation, man, kids raising kids, you know, and I, and I always like to preface anything I talk about my childhood. Um, I like to preface it with, you know, I do not believe I had a bad childhood. I do believe that I had a good childhood. Um, I do believe that I had an inappropriate childhood at times, though. Um, so I want to make that very clear. You know, my dad... He had one of the most unstable childhoods I've ever heard of. You know, he went to I, his, the amount of schools. He went to over 20 different schools growing up. He was constantly being moved around. Um, so instability was a really, rig, really big part of his life. Uh, my mom, her dad, so my tata, he made most of his money gambling. Um, he ran an underground casino in Alaska, um, did some gambling down here. So... Both were very, I guess, unconventional upbringings. Uh, my, 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 my dad's dad, my grandfather, he was an alcoholic. Uh, his mom was a drug addict. So both of my grandparents are already, I mean, they're gone. Um, drugs and alcohol took them out very early. So addiction and alcoholism, man, has ran rampant through my family. And it's crazy because from the time that I was a little kid, and I actually just had a conversation with my dad about this not too long ago, um, just within this past week or two, from the time I was a little kid, man, he would always look at me and say, Dylan, it's going to be up to you to change the culture of the family. And I always thought he just meant like financially, you know what I mean? Like 
whatever it was. But he would always look at me and say, it's going to be up to you to change the culture of the family. I just had no idea what that meant, you know? Um, yeah, because you were just a child. You didn't really understand what addiction was or anything. No, know, at not at point. all. Not at all. And I mean, I watched my parents, um, you know, drink and drug, even when they didn't know that I seen them. I, I seen it. So growing up, that stuff was all normal to me. You know, like I thought that's just what we did. You know, I thought that's how you interacted. That's how you had fun, family gatherings. You know, if it was a kid's birthday party. Um, you could count on plenty of alcohol and whatever there and me and my cousins sneaking off and hitting that keg up or hitting whatever it is and uncles pouring me shots of tequila telling me if I'm scared, go to church. You know what I mean? So like this was all like this was all normal stuff. You know what I mean? So I didn't have any like negative uh, perception of it at all, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and, and again, that's not to say that that's the sole reason why I am where I'm at. You know, I believe there's something different. I'm wired a certain way to where if I put a substance in my body, I just don't know how to put it down. Um, but it was all really normal to me. You know, my parents, like I said, it, they were kids raising kids pretty much, you know? So from the time I was very young, you know, they would be bringing me into concerts, uh, bringing my dad would put me on his shoulders and bring me into a mosh pit. You know, they let me go to the Warp Tour when I was seven years old with my friends just by ourselves, you know, and that to this day is still one of the best times I ever had in my entire life. You know, like I loved it, but I do believe through all of those things, which I now do believe inappropriate because I'm a father now and my daughter's five years old and I can't imagine sending her, you know, in a couple of years. But again, my parents came from severe instability and the childhood they gave me was far better than the childhood that my dad received. I do believe that they did a great job and did the best that they could. But through all of those experiences, I feel like a lot of those character defects were born. The need for control. The ego. My ego had to tell me that I was badass enough and that I had enough control to be by myself at the warp Tour with thousands of people at seven years old, getting separated from my friends, crowd surfing in a mosh pit, that I had the control to be able to, to stay safe. Like my ego had to protect me right then and there. I feel like a lot of those character defects were born out of necessity to keep me alive around those times. My dad always pretty much just asked one thing of me, straight A's in school. That was really my only requirement. As long as I had straight A's in school, I had the green light. I, I could pretty much, within reason, you know, within reason, such as going <laughs> to music festivals with my friends at seven years mm -hmm. old, I could do whatever I wanted, you know, so and, and I look back and I realize now that that was my first misconception that social acceptability equaled recovery because all I had to do was show you my report card of straight A's and I was good to go. I could do whatever I wanted with my hair. I could go and hang out with the friends. I could do whatever I wanted to do. And eventually I just took that to the extreme because I'm a drug addict. Right. And I was an addict long before I ever did any drugs. I was always searching for that adrenaline rush, that high, that whatever it may be. And eventually it led to very unhealthy habits. By the time I got to high school, um, you know, I had started smoking weed. I'd already, you know, drank, you know, plenty with, with you know, my, my, my family and whatnot. Never like alcoholically. Um, but I started smoking weed in high school and, you know, experimenting that way. And I fell in love, man. I fell in love with getting high. It really was. It was, I don't know, it was just that thing, man, that finally escaping myself and being able to what I thought find my identity in being high, you know, because I, I, I always struggled with an identity, you know, because I, I was into so much, man. I love skateboarding. I couldn't stand a lot of skateboarders. Um, never dug really the whole skateboarding culture as far as what 
certain aspects of it. I love skateboarding and I do love a lot of the skateboarding culture, but you know, I always felt conflicted with a lot of the stuff that went on within it. Um, loved music, making music again, felt conflicted with a lot of the stuff that went on with it. Um, I was a three sport athlete growing up again, felt conflicted with a lot of the, the, the politics behind it, you know? So all of these things, man, that I always really enjoyed, I always found myself conflicted even within those things, you know? So I guess in that search for an identity, when I finally got out of myself by using drugs, it brought relief to that, you know? And I fell in love with that. I really did. But again, I take it to unhealthy places. You know, by the time I'm out of high school um, and I graduated due to pure manipulation and, and just swindling, you know, I would never even went and I, I was convincing everyone that, you know, whatever the classes were too hard or this and this and this and this and that, whatever it may be. And now I'm getting grades that I don't deserve just so I can get kind of moved on. But a big turning point was when I was out of high school and I started working for this company and I started making pretty good money. You know, I was like 18, 19 years old and I started making thousands of dollars every week. And that's when my ego blew up to a dangerous level. Now I'm thinking I really got it figured out, right? Because now I'm starting to drink a lot more. Uh, I'm still getting high, you know, I I'm doing all of these things. And again, that social acceptability equaling personal recovery is now fucking me up because now if somebody wants to talk to me about my drinking, I'm just going to point at my bank account and that's now my new report card. It, it makes it to where I, I have this shield of whatever, this just false shield that protected me from my own truth, you know, and it really did a number on me, man. Uh, started my own business when I was 19 and again, ego got taken up a notch. I got good at golfing and even better at drinking, you know, and it, and it led me to a point to where eventually it was a 30 pack a day, you know, and it was... It was horrible, man. It, it really got bad. But I didn't think I had a problem. It sounds like to me when I hear that, because I know I've, I've dealt with it in my personal use, is that when you have that, that social acceptability equals recovery, that's so much pressure on you that like, you might not even realize at the time. But when you get that chance to drink and when you get that chance to get high like you were, that relief is so overwhelming because you don't have to put on that performance because that's what you're used to. Um, doing is putting on the performance to be accepted. And, you know, that gets exhausting after a while. You know, it starts off as you like getting that high just to relax. And then because, like you said, because you're wired different, you take it to the next level. It, it is exhausting. It absolutely was. And I think, uh, you know, one of the things that I hear the most from friends and family is we had no idea. We had no idea what you were going through and what you were doing. And I was like, yeah, exactly. That's the point. I didn't want you guys to know. And it was, it was exhausting. I wasn't out on the corner asking for money, but what I was doing was pretending I had it all together, supporting a family, paying the bills, keeping the house, going on vacations, all while eventually trying to maintain a huge fentanyl habit. And eventually it's just exhausting, man. It got really, really bad. And you know what sucks is, man, I seen this, I seen the tape play out before I ever even entered it. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I have very close family of mine who is an active addiction, you know, and I see they were always like one step ahead of me. Mm -hmm. Um, as far as like when, what I consider like the hard stuff, like the opiate, when the opiates came in, um, because I was, I was, a, I was a severe alcoholic for a long time. You know, alcohol was my drug of choice at one point. 
um, I had this job. It, it, I worked at a golf course and I'd have to be there at three, four in the morning. And it didn't matter. I was drinking the entire way up there. I was drinking the entire time at work. I'd, I'd have a, like a, a six pack or 12 pack of beer um, in a cooler or multiple coolers uh, in one of the golf carts and have a bag of Coke with me to get through my work day. You know, that's like where I was at. But I didn't think I had a problem. Right. Because those are normal people drugs in my mind. You know, like normal people do Coke and drink alcohol. You know, I'm, I'm doing Adderall, cocaine, alcohol, smoking weed, you know, eating, you know, much. Sound like a college student. <laughs> right, right, yeah, right, right. So it sounds normal. The basic like, socially acceptable drugs, dude. Yeah. Dude, right. But, I mean, that was my, me growing up the same way, dude. As long as I wasn't smoking crack or doing heroin, I was good. You know, the coke, the weed, the drinking, that was just a normal, just a weekend, you know, having a good time. I thought you were going to say normal Monday afternoon. Well, it, it, was, it became a normal Monday, Monday morning. Any, any day that ended in Y. Yeah, dude. It was, bro. And, yeah. But eventually, you know, it got bad. You know, I watched um, some dear family stumble into um, uh, an opiate addiction, started off with painkillers, and I wasn't far behind them, you know. And I remember, like, watching them go through that, like, tore me to pieces. Like, it absolutely shattered me. You know, but again, this is before I considered myself to have a problem or even really an alcoholic or a drug addict or anything like that. And I think I was so shattered. I, I don't know, man. And I just with my own addiction and the way my own mind works out is I ended up just following their footsteps. You know what I mean? Not not blaming them. This is not blaming them, you know, but I ended up I, I didn't know how to like numb my own pain. And I remember like taking painkillers and like one of the biggest things that I realized in opiates to this day are still my drug of choice. Like I do have a drug of choice and it is fentanyl. But I remember with the opiates, man, it was so significant because not only was any physical pain gone, but the pain in my head was truly gone. Mm. When I first took, you know, when I would take those pills, I was hooked. Like I was absolutely freaking hooked from that point on. That's when like the shift really happened. Again, this, you know, up to this point I didn't think I had a problem, but once I took those pills, man, that's when the shift really happened and I found myself pretty quickly out of control and realized that I no longer had any say on when I did those damn pills. And during this time too, my wife and I we were going through an adoption process, process of trying to adopt her. At first it was just guardianship and then an adoption process and it was a very difficult thing you know it, it was it was very trying and when we started off I hadn't like fully I wasn't like a full-blown like addict or anything like that as far as the opiates go but it was like a lot of stress on us and we went through a lot of uh it, it was just really tough it was really tough years and years and years of fight years of fighting and trying to get you know this adoption done get the necessary paperwork and it was just a, an exhausting process but by the time we had finally adopted her man I, I had switched over and i had become a full-blown fentanyl addict and i remember to this day the first time that i ever received one of those fentanyl pills and depending on what part of the country you're in you'll know what i'm talking about with those little those little blue devils little blue demons satan in a pill form i i, I was so dope sick and my dealer had come to me and that's what she gave me and I knew it was off. It looked off to me. So I broke it into a quarter because I knew I had heard of everybody ODing and dying off these things. But I was so dope sick that like I, I didn't have an option. Like this goes back to that choices thing, right? Like when I'm in active addiction, I don't have a choice. I, I don't get to say what I will or will not do for one more. 
I broke that pill into a quarter, and I remember snorting that quarter, and it was game over. There was no going back. Mm. Once I had touched that fentanyl, throw the Percocets, throw the Vicodin, all of it out the window. Mm -hmm. I can remember the same pivotal moment when I did yep. fentanyl. It was like... Never. No going back. Two, there's, yeah, two pivotal moments. The first time I smoked crack and the first time I did fentanyl, and I'll never forget them moments. And they say, try it once and you're hooked. And I was like, bullshit. You know, that was always just a big joke. But no, that shit's the truth, dude. The first time, and that was all she wrote. It is. That escape from reality that I never experienced from anything until I did that. It, 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 it was a different ball game, bro. It really was because, again, up to this point, like I was severely addicted to alcohol. I was severely addicted to cocaine for a long time. And looking back on it, cocaine was the drug that, for the most part, changed who I was more than anything. Like cocaine made me a straight up demon. I, I really like, can't. I really can't picture you all coked up <laughs> it, more than you already. Sometimes are. <laughs> 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 that, that scares me thinking about it. No, but bug eye, bug eye, Dylan. <laughs> dude, I, I was, bro. I don't, dude. You, I'm still uh, like a little uh, twitchy from the Adderall and Coke, bro. Like, I like. I for question real. it sometimes. Wait, I, <laughs> you, just, you just see how big his eyes are right now. <laughs> No, man, like, I remember, like, I remember, like, one of the first times I was like, what the fuck's going on with my face? Like, <laughs> I had just, like, it was, like, one of the first times that drugs took, like, a physical toll on my body, mm -hmm. you know, and, like, it left me twitchy to this day. Like, there's still little things I do on my face, man, and I'm like, I don't even realize I'm fucking doing it, you know what I mean? Like, all these drugs just, like, kind of mess with my head. But getting back to, like, just the... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, bro. Bug me all up, dude. No, well, I it, think it's cute, bro. It's cute. Yeah, yeah. Twitches are cute. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but it gives you character. Dude. Yeah, it gives me character. Okay, whatever, dude. But no, so even like despite all of that, like once I got to this fentanyl, man, it, it was a different beast. It was something that I never dealt with in my entire life. I did not know how to control it. I could not control it. And again, I have a wife and kid now. You know, mm -hmm. now I'm trying to be a family man. And again, I... I end up going on to develop one of the biggest fentanyl habits that I've ever heard of. In fact, when I got to detox, they literally told, and this is in Prescott, Arizona, where it's like Prescott's like a, a, a recovery capital of the country. Um, they literally told me they'd never heard of anyone doing more of those fentanyl pills per day than I was doing, you know? So to try to manage that and keep a family together and keep that Facebook life that I like to talk about up it was exhausting, man. It was just exhausting. And I was constantly tired and I was so depressed and it was just, it was horrible, man. It, it was really, really bad. And I tried to get clean numerous times. I would try to detox myself and my wife would have to watch. Well, she didn't have to, but she was, she, she sat there and she'd watch me go through an opiate withdrawal and I'd be sitting there pouring sweat and literally just looking at her like a little kid, man, just begging her, like, please do something. Please help me. Please help me. There's nothing she can do, man. But she did whatever, you know, she tried her best. She'd wrap warm towels around my legs because of my restless legs, run me hot baths, whatever it was, dude. Like, she tried her best, man. I was grateful. What, Donnie? <laughs> I could just picture it now. <laughs> Don't sit on the couch crying like, like a little bitch. <laughs> And free, like, it's gonna be okay. <laughs> Wrapping you up with warm towels. It was it was rough, bro. It it was it was tough, dude. 
<laughs> Anybody uh, out there who's been I can't a- imagine seeing you go through withdrawals, man. It's pain watching you order food at a restaurant. <laughs> 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 It was bad, dude. I remember, like, seriously sitting there and just being so depressed, man. They're the worst. It was. I'd be sitting in my backyard, like, how the fuck did this happen? Like, I, how is my life this way right now? You know, like, where did... And he how, tried did I, to, how did I get to this point? How mm-hmm. did I get to this point? And I could just, you know, it just... It got bad, man. It got really bad. But, you know, so I kept trying to detox myself, but I wouldn't accept the real help. And I wasn't willing to dive into the program yet. Everybody, my, I had a sponsor at the time, um, but I wasn't in the program. Where Dude. was this? Where was the sponsor from that you had? Like, how did you meet him? Celebrate Recovery. Um, I, I that was the first meeting I walked into. Man, I was at church, and they had a Celebrate Recovery program, which is a twelve-step Christ-centered program. Mm-hmm. And I went in there, and that was the first meeting I ever went to. You know, you know, I was I consider I I was broken enough to walk into a meeting but not broken and beaten enough to truly dive into the program and understand that this was going to have to be my new way of life if I ever wanted a shot at life. Yeah. And I, and I remember that meeting, like he ran outside and this was probably the first time I had like connected with someone like on an intimate level, like addiction. And he ran out after that meeting and him and another guy sat and talked with me for like an hour. And I remember going home and telling my wife, like, man, these guys, like they just talked to me. You know, like they were so like, you know, they were caring, you know, it like blew me away. It really did blow me away. And uh, the next meeting I went to, he was like, hey, man, call me tomorrow. And he's like, hey, I want to sponsor you. I was like, all right, cool. I had no idea what a sponsor was. I had <laughs> like, no sweet. Idea. Sounds good, dude. Yeah, exactly. I didn't. <laughs> sure. Dylan, Dylan's competitive. He's like, I went to one meeting, already got a sponsor. Uh, right? yeah, dude, I'm scared. <laughs> I, I got a sponsor. I'm good. Yeah, dude. Yeah, it was. I don't know, but he wrote it out, bro. He wrote it out with me for, you know, because it took me two years before I finally even was willing to go to treatment. You know, mm-hmm. I, I tried to do it by myself so much. Um, at one point, I went and even got like some Suboxone uh, from a clinic and I threw myself into the worst precipitated wor- withdrawal mm, ever. Dude. Did that so many times. Too fast. Uh, dude, I thought I waited enough, long yeah, enough. Enjoy it. And me too. The Every first time. time over 24 hours. And then the mm. second time I waited 48 hours Jeez. and this was, and a, you still kicked them, dude. I still got thrown into the gnarly freaking precipitated withdrawal. I don't know how I thought I waited an, long enough, but I took it, man. And it, I took it at a golf course the second time. And I don't even know how I was golfing after two days, but I, everyone was always telling me, you got to stay moving. You got to stay moving, mm-hmm. stay moving. And I was like, all right, cool. I'm gonna go golf then. And I'm dying on the golf course. And it literally, like, as soon as the 48-hour mark kicked in, I pop, you know, I took a suboxone. From the time I teed off to the time I got to that fairway, I was in the worst withdrawal. <laughs> like, legit. It was horrible. And I'm at the furthest part of the golf course. So now I got to drive all the way back to the clubhouse, get into my car, and then try to drive 45 minutes to go meet my guy. I get into the car, I pull out of the golf course, and I got a shit. Ooh. Bad. Hell yeah. Bad, dude. Hell yeah. I end up <laughs> I end up pulling off at a busy intersection. This is a four-way <laughs> stop, like busy intersection, like hundreds of cars there. I run to the corner of this busy intersection, and the only thing I could find for like any 
covering at all is this little tumbleweed bush. <laughs> I'm sitting there shitting at the middle of a busy intersection, dude, with hundreds of cars driving by me. And I'm just like, I felt like Goomer, like, oh, what the fuck, Goomer? Like, I couldn't believe, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I couldn't believe it. How that's did like I get a, here? That's like a freeze frame. Let me tell you how I got to this moment in my life. <laughs> totally. Absolutely, bro. Absolutely. Eventually, you know, I got cleaned up. It probably I, felt very relieved, though, right? Dude, it was one of those things, like, there was no question about it. That's just where I was doing it. I've been, I've not, I've been there, dude. <laughs> dude, dude. It, it was horrible, bro. I just shit my pants, though, dude. <laughs> Well, dude, I I still had to like make it a while. I I've made it, I've made it to a McDonald's before. I haven't had to do it in the middle of an intersection, well, but I've pounded through the door. Well, sprinting I ended into up a at a McDonald's, dude. This is like I said, this day, dude. <laughs> You ever see that movie, Bridesmaids? Yes. It was coming out of me like lava, bro. Like, it was bad, bro. It was like the dope sick shits for sure, bro. It was it was horrible, man. And, uh, and I, again, it's just one of those things. Like, this is just what my life is right now. I'm not... This is... I know that there's hundreds of cars driving by and looking at me, but this is where I have to be right Jeez, now. Jeez, dude. I end up getting into my car, man, and I hit up my boy, and I'm like, hey, man, I got to meet you right now. He's like, all right, cool. Meet me over here. Again, this is 45 minutes from where I'm at, you know, almost 45 minutes. That was like the longest car ride of my life. It was horrible. I managed to drive myself, and I meet him at this dirty McDonald's in Maryville. And by this time, I'm bad. Like, I'm weak, weak. And I'd already thrown all my stuff out because I kept all my stuff in my car. Like, you know, i chop them up if I was going to snort them or whatever. To, you know, I threw all that stuff out because I was getting clean. Right. Right. And now so I go into the bathroom and I'm trying to crush it up on the toilet paper thing. Mm -hmm. By this time, I'm too weak to even crush up a pill. Mm -hmm. Like I'm literally too weak to even get my drugs in me. So eventually I resort to just start chewing these things up. Mm -hmm. So I took like six of them and I started chewing them up. And I'm laying there so sick, man, on the floor of this filthy McDonald's bathroom in Maryville, dirt part of Phoenix, just next to the shitty toilet, piss all over the place. Just a horrible truck stop looking of a bathroom. And I'm just on the floor. And I'm thinking to myself again, how the hell did this happen? How did I get here? And that McDonald's bathroom floor, man, is burned into my memory. It is burned into my soul, into my heart. Because at that moment, I felt small. I was so small that the toilet in an intersection... I, I shit at the intersection and rested at the toilet. <laughs> like, it was it was just... Sounds pretty legit. Dude, it was so bad, man. Sounds and, on point. And by yeah. the... Eventually, I got, you know, those... I chewed up those six fatty wops and uh, started feeling better. I, I finally got the strength to drive home. Where you're like, ah, that wasn't that bad. Right, oh, yeah. <laughs> right, right when you feel that, ooh, I made it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm playing, it's like, it's like, that didn't happen. <laughs> you forget. <laughs> Nothing can hold me down. <laughs> like, all right, that was a little tough, but we got, we got through it. <laughs> I'm, feeling, I'm feeling good now. <laughs> I think I'm ready to go back and play golf. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm tripping, like, dude. Tea time, we got tea time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude. Shit. I relate to all of that, man. One of the things I want to touch on that you said even just to start this episode, 
was was that like even with your upbringing and the way you were brought up and and the different things like that that you don't you know you don't blame your upbringing for your addiction because that's just there's something inside of us and that's a similar thing that I went through you know I had a normal you know childhood and I wasn't around drugs and alcohol but right. when I had that alcohol touch my you know affect my brain for the first time you know, it was just game over because there's that something inside of us. And I think that that's a good point that there's, there's a lot of things that contribute to our alcoholism or our addiction, but it's also, you know, a mental thing that's inside of us. Would you agree with that? Oh, 100%, yeah. dude. I, like I said, I, I seen what would happen. If anything, I had the perfect warning of what not to do. Yeah. And my mind was like, Hey man, but that looks like a good way to solve your pain. And that's exactly what I did. Literally, one there was this time, man, where I dropped off a man very, very close to me at a detox. And I watched somebody that I idolized crawling on the floor in agony, going through a withdrawal. And it fucking broke my heart. I was watching Superman with his kryptonite, essentially. You know, and it and it just really, really messed with me. And my reaction was to go get high. My reaction was, oh, I know this guy who has these pills, you know, and this is before I was real bad. I know this guy who has these pills and I went and got some because I didn't know what else to do. You know what I mean? Like, and again, this isn't blaming them because a normal person doesn't say I'm looking at this. Yep. I'm going to go try that. You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to try that. Right. I had the, I had the tape played through of what not to do. And yet my mind said, Hey, go try it. Because again, I'm special. Seven billion people in the world. I'm the one. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Dylan's delusional world. Dylan's delusional world, man. I truly lived in it. You know, it's and, insane and how our minds work, dude. It is, bro. It, it absolutely is. So it just does, man. There's, you know, and my drug use, my partying, always takes me to bad places, and it leads me to a point where I think that I can do things that I just can't. You know, and, and it's crazy because the longer I stay clean, like the more recollection I have of some of these insane moments or I'm reminded just like when you were talking about the auditory hallucinations, man, mm-hmm. it completely reminded me of this time where I wake up in the middle of the night and I hear a Phoenix Suns basketball game playing on the radio in my head. Mm-hmm. And I'm listening to Al McCoy, legendary Al McCoy for any Phoenix Suns fans out there. You'll know who that is. That's my man right there. Voice of my childhood. But I'm literally listening to an entire basketball game play, and I'm walking around the house, and I'm losing my mind. Dude. Like, it's getting scary, because this thing is fucking loud, and it is the same as you talking to me right now. Like, I hear it so perfect. But again, my drug addict behavior protected me from thinking, damn, I got a drug problem. I was like, you know, maybe I should stop snorting water after I snort these pills. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it's that damn water I'm right. snorting. It's fucking with my brain. It wasn't the fentanyl. It was the water that was causing me to hallucinate. It's true, dude. We blame everything and try to take away everything from the equation but that. Dude. But it was, the fucking cause of it. But the cause of it, bro. It was, it's crazy. Every, I was talking. Delusional. Every, Del- like, that's not even denial because denial would be to suggest that I knew the truth. That's delusion. We didn't when I'm know. blaming the water for my hallucinations <laughs> and not the drugs. God damn it. That's delusional. That'd be something in this fucking water, man. Yeah. Damn hard I, I Phoenix always, water. I always blame my, I couldn't sleep on my anxiety and shit, but it wasn't all the crack or the mess. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's this damn anxiety. Was, so then I needed a Xanax. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was my anxiety. Go, going back to that, you know, our thinking, you know, it's like I was talking to somebody else about it and they're like, here's this little blue pill, man. If you take it one time, you'll never put it down. It might kill you the first time you take it. Your dick 
it's gonna stop working eventually and you're gonna not care about anything you want to try it yep. yeah it sounds like a great <laughs> idea like a great idea <laughs> it's like our fucking minds are just different. it's crazy bro it's crazy you know and Again, it's never worked out. It brought me to a horrible place every single time. And it eventually it brought me to the point where I, I wanted to kill myself. Mm-hmm. I was 100% like convinced that the only way out, because I couldn't get clean. It's been two years now of me going to a meeting or two, and I can't get clean. I got a sponsor. I can't get clean. Like I, I hadn't dove into program yet, but in my mind, I was stuck. I was trapped. There was no hope for me. And I truly felt this from the bottom of my heart that there was no way I was ever going to get clean. So I thought my only way out was to end my life, you know, and I, and I was planning again. I think I spoke about this on a previous episode, but I was planning on driving up to Prescott, Arizona to end my life. I was going to jump off of a mountain. I was going to write letters for all of my friends or for my family, um, just saying sorry. I was going to leave a letter for my daughter saying, I'm so sorry that daddy couldn't be there. I love you so much you know, a letter to my wife, all of my friends, you know, my, my, the ones who know they would have gotten a letter, I was going to write the letter to them, you know, something happened, man. And, and God came through in my life and God was working on me long before I ever knew he was working on me, man. And, you know, there's not to Bible bang or anything on anybody. Um, but there's this verse, man. And, and, and Jesus is talking to these people and they're all and he's gonna leave and he's like and the people are like yo how could you leave us like don't leave us don't leave us and jesus is like yo it's in your best interest that i take off because if i'm here the holy spirit ain't gonna go to work on you and that's exactly what happened man like i had felt these calls from god for so long and it was always like god i need you to leave me alone right now you're messing up my high right now go talk to these people at church they clearly want your help all these goody choir boys like they want your help there's a bunch of people at meetings that clearly want your help like i don't want your help you're messing with my high and once he left me alone and allowed me to destroy myself which was the best thing he possibly could have done for me that holy spirit went to work on me so on july 18th uh well july 17th i drove up to prescott arizona but it wasn't to end my life it was to begin my life mm-hmm. and i went to treatment there the same how ironic is that you killed you're old, the old I you. did, yeah. Technically, yeah, I did. I drove up to commit suicide. I, I killed that old Dylan, you know, and, and I began this new life. And I truly, truly feel reborn since I've entered recovery, man. Like mm. January 31st, 1990, I entered this earth. July 18th, 2019 when is, is when I was born. You know what I mean? Amazing. It, it, it's crazy, bro. That's how I talk about It's like two separate, two separate lives. Two separate lives. Like a, it was like a, a fucking movie. Sometimes I look back at my old life, like how I was living before, and it's almost crazy. like a fucking movie. It it's, is. It's crazy to to look at the the change now, dude. And it, it's it's been unreal. And I, and I've even witnessed like from the first time, literally, I can remember the first time I ever even met Dylan. Like I complimented this dude on his dumbass watch. Like, That's a nice fucking watch you got. Like in the parking lot of the meeting, <laughs> and I was just talking to someone about this the other night. You know how. When people come into our lives, we don't realize how that person maybe impact our lives later on, or this relationship is going to be built with this person. Like we never know when we come across someone. Like how I never knew. Like I walked up to Goomer for the first time, introduced myself. 
didn't know we were gonna be like super close to each other uh, later on. Like I'm sure, like I'm sure the same oh, thing, 100%. same thing with Jordan. Like we never know when we're gonna end up, right? You know, who God's gonna put in our lives that uh, are gonna impact us in a crazy. huge way. When I saw Jordan, I was just like, it's just another dude, you know. Like he's coming to outside meetings. There's meetings are shut down. There's no way this dude's gonna make it. He's just coming, he ain't, you know, going, he ain't gonna like, make it. He's just another body, like you know, like in and out, like. Glad, but, glad I leave an impression. Uh, <laughs> 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 we didn't mean it like that. Dude. No, no, no. I understand. <laughs> no, nah, man. You, it's true, dude. Like the people who have entered my life since I've gotten clean, it, it it's mind blowing. Shit, dude. My intake director or the intake guy at my treatment facility ended up being really good friends with him. I ended, he ended up hiring me as his realtor. He literally seen me on day nine of withdrawal from fentanyl. And he's like, that guy's going to be my realtor. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's just crazy, dude. And now we keep in good contact and then getting out and like meeting you guys, man. Like, again, it was same thing. Like that day we went paintballing. I had no idea I was in the car with two dudes who would become like my closest friends. It's crazy you know how I mean? that works, huh? Oh, mm-hmm. it's mind blowing, bro. Like who, like when Jordan first walked in and we're still all like still fucked up, you know, it was like, hey, you guys, just so you know, uh, that's going to be the guy that completes your little setup there. For your podcast, you know what I mean? Like it's it's crazy, you know. Like I, it just blows my mind. And the people that have come into my life, and the people that I've gotten to reach out to and help, I've been put in some insane situations, man. Insane situations and situations that I never would have been put in if I was not in recovery, mm-hmm. or maybe I wouldn't have known how to handle it if I was not in recovery. That brings me back to something that you said earlier in a previous episode. I think the one that I was talking about alcohol that still like sticks with me. So now that like we've even heard your story. So we got Goomer who had the crazy rehab. We have Donnie from the backwoods, Ohio. We got you that uh, with your family and that you grow up, grew up with and then me. Who knew that there was one thing that would bring us all together to be here at this table? Doesn't matter where we came from, what our background is, what we're doing. We're all here right now because of one thing. No, for sure, it's dude. It's the solution. And the yeah. solution, yeah, man. And this is, it's, again, I can't even describe the blessings that I've had in recovery and the connection that I've found in recovery and the way of life that I've been given in recovery. And it makes it to where it's true. Like, once I've seen life, I can't return to death. You know, like, I can't knowingly go back to drugs and alcohol and be okay with it. I just, like, there's, again, there's a beast that lives inside of me and I have to keep them tame as much as I can. But... There's no world, no Dylan's delusional world out there that would suggest to me it's okay now. Like, you're good now. You know, like, because I just, I can't, I don't want to give my life of recovery up. I've had too many great experiences, man. You know, meeting kids at at meetings or or whatever it is, it's it's been a roller coaster, bro. And at the end of the day, like, today I get to be a father. I get to be a husband. I get to be a friend. You know what I mean? Like, I get to be a brother. Like... All these things, like I get to do these things today. And my daughter and my wife, my wife is stuck through so much, man. Like she went through the freaking ringer. I want to make that living amends every day by offering a recovery, my recovery um, to be present as a husband and as a father. My daughter, man, she she saved my life. You know, she she was a big part of saving my life. And we kind of talked about it on the last episode when you said that you got sober for your dad, right? A big part of me, again, I got, I got fronted on the love for my wife and kid because I didn't love myself enough to get clean for myself. I didn't. And even at treatment, I didn't love myself enough to stay clean for myself, but I loved them enough to do it. You know, so I got fronted on that love. And I'll never forget it, man, when I finally got back, or, or you know, after 
so long um when my wife and kid came to pick me up because my daughter would always ask me like are you coming home tonight are you coming home tonight and every time i'd have to tell her no and i'd break down and cry and it would just tear me to pieces when she walked through the treatment doors and seen me there and i said hey baby guess what she looked at me she said what i said daddy's coming home today she gave me the biggest freaking hug, man. She squeezed me. She put her head, she just buried her head in my chest and just held on to me. And like, I could, it's something I will remember forever. And I don't want to let go. I don't want to let go of that, you know? And I know what happens when I choose to go back to my old ways. I have to be down to die. I have to be willing and down to leave her without a father if I'm going to use again. I have to bet my life on it. I'm at a casino and they don't take cash. My life is the only thing that will suffice. And today I don't want to make that bet, man. Well, Dylan, thank you so much for sharing that story with us. I know it was much anticipated from people. And man, that really, that really, like, I learned a lot more about you today than even I knew. And I hang out with you all the time. So thank you very much. Man. No, for awesome, sure, man. dude. It's weird to be on this side. <laughs> it's weird to be on this side. I'm trying <laughs> over Deflate, We're deflating Dylan's ego a little bit. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. Donnie, do you got a daily Donnie for us? I sure do, Jordan. Th thanks for the hosting, and I appreciate you, Dylan, sharing all that. I mean, getting yeah. vulnerable and I love you know, the story, I'm, man. I'm extremely grateful, you know, that God brought you into my life. As long as you know, Jordan Goomer, everyone, you know, that's Likewise. impacted me in a, in a huge way, and you know, I'm forever grateful for that. And uh, you know, you find good friends, you know, latch onto them. I, that connection is, you know super important and, and just getting vulnerable with each other and telling telling our stories is it's an amazing thing when we you know we talk about the hardships but we always are looking for the solution and focusing on the solution and not the problem anymore i mean we first have to recognize it but then we look for a solution afterwards you know and it's it's been amazing so with that i got a donny daily for you that's like six day <laughs> daily yeah, donnies sorry, right there sorry I was, I was just, no that was good uh, that was good uh, yeah, yeah. sorry uh, <laughs> i got i got i got ahead of myself yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> a friend is someone who understands your past believes in your future and accepts you just the way you are Ooh, that's great Guess that's a perfect uh, one for right now goomer you got anything before we before we head out Nah, man. I just thanks, Dylan. Like, I just I love your your story, man. There's so much I wanted to bring more, you know, like just to the surface. But I just I like listening to your story a lot, man. Like, it's I, I know, know I got emotional. We always with just you. scratch the surface of these I things. Know, like, yeah, I, like, it pisses me off. Dude, it could be just like a timer in my head. Our meeting <laughs> after the meeting conversations are usually hours, hours, like long. two, three, four hours, and we try. There's to, so much. I know this is such the express <laughs> version of my story. Like, right, like all of our stories, mm -hmm. but yeah. No, it's well, and again, we got as long as we want to get into all these things, man. You know yeah, what I mean? Definitely. Many, many more episodes to come. Yeah. We're not going to stop. Hell yeah. All right. Well, we want to thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Dylan, again for sharing your story. We really appreciate it. Uh, Donnie, Goomer, anybody else that's out there, uh, make sure you reach out. Um, if you need, feel free and always uh, send us a message or anything. We usually always try to get back to anybody that we can. And uh, with that, we'll leave you. Thank you so much for listening to Not So Anonymous.